Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. My name is Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life, and we're super excited that you're here to join us, especially if you're a first-time guest. We prepared for you, and we prayed for you, and we're just excited that you're here with us today. Uh, and if you are first-time guest, man, we have a couple of free gifts for you. So at the end of service, uh, tune, tune in, because I'm going to tell you where to go to be able to get those couple of gifts, because we're just so excited uh, that you're here with us today, and that you decided to come out and join us on a, on a Sunday, cold Sunday morning at 8.30. We're so thankful. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of a three-week series, so it's a brief series, um, and uh, it's called Parables. And throughout this series, we're talking about uh, some of the stories that Jesus taught. And we're sort of delving into those things and looking at their meaning, because one of the things that Jesus did while he was here 2,000 years ago is he told a lot of sort of cryptic, strange stories to the, the people who would follow him around. And, and the stories had profound meanings. And so we're looking at those different stories. And so Pastor Chris kicked us off last week and he talked about a, a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. And, and as he looked at that, he, he talked about how we can, can also be found. He said if he had only to preach one sermon for the rest of his life, that would be the one that he would preach. And uh, even next week, he's going to be ending our series on parables, and he's going to be talking about the most important thing, the most important thing. But this week, we're going to be looking at a story that Jesus told uh, to a large crowd of people, including his 12 closest friends. And as we're going to be looking at that, he talks about a farmer, and uh, a farmer who was scattering seed, a farmer who was who was planting. But before we dive into that story, I wanted to tell kind of my own variation of the story. So I created my own variation of the story, so bear with me. So in my own story, there are four young men. I think we can kind of connect with these young men in some way, or at least we can relate to, to somebody. We know somebody in our life who've been like them. So all four young men were in their 20s, and they looked forward to the time that they would retire. And they had dreams at retirement of, of sort of building um, a, a nest egg to retire on and to be able to live comfortably, to be able to buy that second house in Florida, especially if you're from around here, so you'd be a snowbird, and, you'd, and like maybe you're watching online today, and you are a snowbird, right? Like you're quite literally in Florida right now, because we have a lot of our church members who are in Florida right now, and, and they thought about traveling with their wives one day, and blessing their children, and living out the remainder of their days in relative comfort. Now, all four of them had the same dream, but not all of them went about it the same way. So the first one in his 20s began going once a week to the local convenience store to buy scratch-off tickets in hopes that he would be able to win big. And each week he'd buy a few more scratch-off tickets, and as his income increased, he increased the amount of tickets that he'd buy, and soon it was Powerball tickets, and throughout his life he would go each day and he would get, a, he would get more Powerball numbers and more cigarettes, and at the end of his life, when it was time to retire, he had no more money than he did when he was 25. But... He would go every day and play another chance to win big and get rich quick. The second young man who had the same dream as the first put his money in aggressive funds and invested aggressively. He got a high-paying job, and soon in his mid-20s, he was making more money than all the rest of his friends. He had more money than he knew what to do with. So he began living in luxury, buying things freely, spending money everywhere he went. He bought new cars and the nicest clothes and only ate at the best restaurants. And soon his lifestyle was outpacing his income. And one night he came home after a night with friends and on the news he saw that the stock market had crashed. And all the money that he invested was gone. 
And in the next couple of days, over the next week, his company began laying people off. And soon, he was unemployed and broke. And he needed a lifetime to make up for the gamble that he had taken. But he didn't have a lifetime to give. A third young man knew the importance of saving. And he understood the implications of it, but the allure of possessions and new things, it was just too much. He couldn't overcome it. So each week his paycheck would get blown on nights out with friends or new toys, and he never contributed to his company's 401k plan, and he didn't take time to invest his money, and he thought, when retirement comes, I'll think about it when I'm older. We all know that that doesn't really work out too well. And so at the end of his life, he worked until the day that he died, never, aiming, never being able to fulfill his dream. Now, our fourth young man was a little bit different, and he invested his money diligently, even when his income was meager. He gave joyfully to the church that he was at, and he lived with open hands as a gracious and generous individual. He was loyal to the company that had treated him and his family so well. And he contributed with their matching 401k plan. And at the end of his life, through diversified funds and compounding interest over a long period of time, he was able to achieve that dream and retire in the way that he thought he would be able to, in the way that he dreamed about it. Now, when we listen to those four individuals, I think most of us can relate to them in one way or another. And maybe you're not one of them, and I'm not saying all stories end up like that. I'm not saying if you do what the fourth guy did that you'll always be able to buy a house in Florida. They even want to buy a house in Florida. I'm just saying most of us can relate in some way to the stories of those individuals. Maybe some of us have lived some of those stories, but most of us know somebody at least, right, who, who, has, who has lived out that that story. But most of us have some sort of a dream at some point in our life. Now, I tell you that story because it relates to the story that Jesus told. But when Jesus was telling his story, uh, he, was, he was telling his story mostly to, to farmers, mostly to farmers. And we're not farmers in here. I mean, to be fair, we're in Saxonburg and so Western Pennsylvania. So there's more farmers in here than in a lot of churches in the country. I understand. That. I'm not trying to belittle you farmers. I came from a long line of farmers. I'm just saying that not all of us are farmers. So we can't all relate to the farming analogy. But hopefully we can all make some connection and some comparisons between the story I told and the story that Jesus will tell today. And before we jump into that, I want to give you a little bit of background. So Jesus is in a fishing village along the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And he's been there for a couple of days at this point, And he has been teaching but he's been doing a lot of healing as well. And so he's been healing people and teaching people in the synagogue and around town. He's been doing some really incredible stuff. And so a huge crowd has become started gathering at the town. The town is packed, right? Everybody's come here because they've heard about this dude who's healing people and teaching amazing things, and he's completely different than all the other rabbis. And this happened to Jesus all the time. These big crowds would gather, and then he would teach these really crazy things, and then all the crowds would leave, right? And we're going to see that today as well. But there's this big crowd in this fishing village, and it gets to the point where he's like, he leaves his house to go out and talk to the crowd, and when he leaves his house, it's so packed that he gets pushed to the shore. And when he gets pushed to the shore, he's trying to talk to the crowd. He can't even talk to him because he's just pushing in on him. There's too many people. So he gets his disciples and they get in a boat and, he, and they, they paddle out into the Sea of Galilee and he sits in the boat and he begins to teach the people from the boat. So you get the picture of this sort of natural amphitheater, right? And I've actually been to this town in Israel, so I can I have a pretty good image of, of what it's like. But you get the picture of kind of a fishing village sort of packed with people and some people who've gone out in boats and then Jesus who's just sort of out in 
in a little boat, in a little fishing boat, and he's sitting on the boat, and he's talking to the people in this sort of natural amphitheater that the bank and the town have made around the Sea of Galilee. And we pick up that story today in uh, the book of Matthew, um, chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 1. And it'll be up there on the screen. You can look it up on your, on your phone or in your Bible if you want. We're in the New Living Translation. Tell you what, though, before we do that, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for today. I pray that you would take your word and that you would open up hearts today. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, let's look at this. Let's look at this passage in this story that Jesus is telling. So keep in mind the crowd. He's sitting on the boat. We get that. It says this. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat and he sat there and taught the people as they stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. And this is the story we're at today. Listen, he says, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. And as he scattered them across his field, some seed fell on the footpath. And the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. These seeds sprouted up quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell along thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So we have a farmer who's spreading seed in a field. And we, don't have, we have tractors now, right? And so you may have seen, you go down you know, any of these back roads in, uh, in springtime, and you see tractors out in fields, and they're planting things and stuff. But they didn't have tractors 2,000 years ago. Um, shocker, I know, right? So what they would do is they would go out, and they would have to repair their field. And in Israel, uh, all the fields are full of rocks. It's like crazy. This is an insane amount of rocks. And like even today, before farmers go out to plant, they actually hire kids. Um, they'll hire like a group of kids just to go out in the field and pick up all the rocks because the rocks keep coming coming up every year after year after year from the soil. There's just tons of rocks. So you get this like relatively dry, because they don't really have many bodies of water. They have like the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, and that's it, right? And so the relatively dry ground, these people are farmers, so they would understand that. And they would go in, and they would get the land ready. And then there would be these paths that would sort of work their way through the fields, because they didn't have tractors to drive through the fields. So they would have these paths that would work through the fields, and the farmer would walk along the paths with a bag of, uh, of seed, and he would spread that seed out, right? right? He would spread. We can imagine that. We can imagine that. He would spread that seed out. And some of that seed would fall on good places and some of it on not such good places. The important thing to know is this. The seed and the farmer didn't change. The seed and the farmer didn't change. The only thing that changed was the ground where the seed fell. The only thing that changed was the ground where the seed fell. And we can connect this back to our story about the four young men. So the four young men all had the same dream. In their 20s, they all looked forward into their retirement, and they saw a similar thing. They all had the same dream. And so they also all had the same resources, right? They all had time and money, but they used their resources in very different ways to get drastically different results to the point where only one of them achieved the dream that they had set out to achieve. And in this story, we have four four different types of soil where the seed lands, 
And when the seed lands on those different types of soil, although they were all given the same thing, they had the same farmer, they had the same seed, they weren't given some unique seed, they weren't given worse seed than the other types of soil were, they were all given the same seed, some of it prospered and became what it was meant to be and produced a harvest, whereas some of the seed did not, and it failed to be what it was intended to be. It failed to do what it was intended to do. So in verse uh, 10, Jesus continues saying this, and notice, I'll talk about it in a minute, but there's a change in the scene, and see if you can pick it up. He said to his, uh, his disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you were permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot ear, hear, and, their, uh, and, they have been and they have closed their eyes, and their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal, him, heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Do you notice that the scene changed? Something switched here. So there was Jesus, and he's in a boat, and he's talking to the people, the crowd that's on the shore around the fishing village. And then it says, the disciples came and asked him. So there's a swap, right? There's something happened between verse 9 and verse 10 where the crowd isn't there anymore. There was a crowd, and he was preaching to a crowd. Now the crowd has left, and it's just Jesus and his disciples. Now this happens over and over again. When you read the Gospels, what you find is that Jesus would gather this big, big crowd around him, and then as soon as there was like a big crowd, he would start saying crazy stuff. He really would. He would start preaching crazy stuff, stuff that people did not understand. And then when they wouldn't understand it, the crowd would leave. And I've always sort of wondered, like, what happened to the crowd? Like, where's the crowd in this passage? Was Jesus like, hey, hold up a minute. I'm just going to have a private conference in the boat with my disciples? No, I think the crowd left. Because every time a big group of people would get around, Jesus would say something really weird or really cryptic or really strange or hard to swallow. And it would be so much so that the crowd would just disappear. They would just abandon him. And the only people that would be left were his 12 close friends, his 12 disciples. And these would be the only people who would stick around. Now, this wasn't too uncommon. It was uncommon to drive away a crowd or to weed people out, but it wasn't too uncommon to speak in parables. Rabbis would oftentimes speak in riddles or in parables or stories, and then when, when it was just their closest disciples, which usually wasn't 12, it was usually a smaller group for a normal rabbi, he would explain some of the things that he had been talking about that maybe the general crowd didn't get, right? Education wasn't as readily available then, so he would sit down and he would explain it. So that wasn't very uncommon. But the disciples come to him and they're like, why did you do that? Like you had this big crowd. I don't understand. Why didn't you take advantage of it? Why didn't you take that opportunity to build fame, get a little bit of platform to really help these people? Like you had this opportunity and all these people came to listen to you and you just gave them like a 30 second story about a farmer and some seed. That's not what they came for. Imagine, like just put yourself in that situation, right? You didn't get in a car to drive here that night. You walked. From whatever town you came from, 
The fishing village is packed. It's not just the fishing village that's there. It's people from the surrounding area. You may have heard about this guy who's healing people and doing these profound teachings. When he opens up the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament, he just, he's like, it's so amazing. What an incredible teacher. you got to go hear this guy. So you pack your stuff and you walk to this fishing village and you're looking for Jesus and you find him in the crowd and you're excited to hear him talk. Or maybe you were fishing like all day long, right? And like you're exhausted, but you just want to go hear this guy. And so... You cleaned your nets, and now you're sitting there at the beach listening to him speak, and he gets up, and he gives a 30-second story about a farmer, and that's it. You'd feel gypped. You'd be like, what the heck? Are you kidding? Imagine, like, you go to see your favorite speaker or your favorite musician, right? And you get the tickets, and you drive the whole way into... Ohio for right? wherever wherever is far for you right and so you get in your car and you drive there and you're so excited to hear him talk or to hear the band play and then you get there and you're in your seat oh here he comes on stage like I'm excited they don't even say hello they don't introduce themselves they tell a quick story and get off stage and you're like what happened like I feel like I got taken by a con artist right like I came he didn't even talk about what I came to hear about Like, what is going on here? And so I would imagine the disciples are confused again. Confused again. And if you look at some of these stories, the disciples are confused over and over and over again. And so as I was reading through, I was a little confused too. Jesus, why pick this story? Why pick this time? So as they're confused, Jesus explains to the disciples, he was teaching in parables so people wouldn't understand. He's teaching in parables so the people wouldn't understand. I'm still like, I'm a little confused. Why would you want them to not understand? Wouldn't you want them to understand what you're teaching? And he says, listen, I came, I'm, I'm actually fulfilling a prophecy from this long dead dude named Isaiah. And, and the, the disciples probably knew about Isaiah Right? Jesus had talked about him before. They grew up, they were, they were Jewish, so they grew up in the, in the schools, and they knew a little bit about Isaiah. Some of them might have even been able to quote this exact passage. Like, they may have known exactly where it was in the Old Testament, and they would have been able to quote it. But they're still like, they don't know he's the son of God. Like, we know he's the son of God. They don't know he's the son of God. So, like, why would you want to fulfill? Like, what are you fulfilling prophecy for to begin with? Like, you're just a teacher. Why are you trying to fulfill prophecy, first off? And then even if you, even if you could fulfill the prophecy, why would you choose to do it instead of helping these people? Like, why would you take an opportunity to fulfill some prophecy instead of actually helping people? They all left. Like, you drove them all away. This is the opposite about what you want to be doing, Jesus. And it would have been confusing to them. Maybe as confusing as it is to us. And then as I looked through, I I began to read through this, and part of Jesus' teaching really struck me. And it wasn't the part about the parable itself, but it was actually this exact part from Isaiah. It was this exact part from Isaiah. And when I read it, it stung. It stung. It's in verse 15, and let me just read it again. It says this. For the heart of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have their eyes closed. So their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. When I read that passage, I began to think, I'm thinking, man, I know of a lot of people 
with closed eyes and sealed ears and hardened hearts. And I wasn't thinking about politicians or the liberal agenda or celebrities or news stations. I was thinking about millions of Christians sitting in churches right now this morning across our country who claim the name of Jesus Christ and say that they are his followers, but have closed eyes and sealed ears and hardened hearts. Millions of Christians across our country today that haven't taken the words of Jesus very seriously. They'll sit in church services every single week. Some of them, maybe they'll come once a month. And they'll hear powerful messages preached by well-intended preachers with their heart in the right place. And they might even feel inspired while they're here, but somewhere between here and their home, during that drive, in light of the hectic schedule of the week ahead, all of that encouragement and that passion and that drive for change sort of falls out of their heads somewhere. And they may sit in church week after week after week, but they never really intend to actually follow or really do what Jesus said to do. They'll never really give time because they're too busy or whatever it may be to actually read their Bible and meditate on God's word. They never have time in their day to actually speak with him and grow a relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer. They'll claim the name of Jesus, but never really start following. And then they'll turn on the 11 o'clock news, and they'll see the atrocities happening in their very own backyards, and they'll quietly consider and wonder if Jesus is just going to come fix it all. And then they'll shuffle off to bed to get enough rest for another day of the same exact thing. And then we say things under our breath, like, wow, this culture's really going to hell. Or this place is on a slippery slope. I really hope Jesus comes back soon. Which may be one of the most calloused and hellish things that a Christian can say in response to a broken culture. Because to wish Jesus to return soon is to, is, is to wish a whole lot of people to go to hell. And then throughout all of that, then to have the audacity to wonder if Jesus is going to come back and fix it all. No, Jesus came to open eyes and to heal ears and to soften hearts. He came to awaken his followers to actually follow him. And this prophecy hasn't just been achieved. It wasn't just fulfilled 2,000 years ago. It has been fulfilled in every generation of the church ever since it was spoken. There have been people with closed eyes and sealed ears and with hardened hearts. And God is not unaware of the plight that we're in. He's not unaware of the heroin epidemic that's tearing apart families one OD at a time. He's not unaware of unborn children being torn from their mother's womb mere days before their birth in New York. He's not unaware of the fact that there are young women who are being trafficked into sex slavery in Butler County right here, right now, today. He is aware of all of it. And it breaks his heart but he's waiting for his followers to follow. And sometimes we just get stuck wishing he would just come back and fix it for us. And I preached to my heart first. Like as I was thinking about this and I was reflecting on it and I began to think about like my own heart and like where am I and where is my heart turned hard? And I realized like in a whole bunch of places, 
Like oftentimes my, my, my schedule is just like, it's just too busy, it's too hectic to really see what God is doing. I don't have time in the day to sit and be quiet and listen to the Lord to really hear what he's speaking to me through the power of the Holy Spirit. My heart is too hard and it's too callous to really feel the things that I should feel when I see the things happening in our world that just aren't right. I'm afraid that if I really offer up everything to God, that maybe he'll ask me for something that I'm not willing to give him. Or maybe he'll ask me to go someplace that I really don't want to go. I'm a little afraid that God will ask me to pay too high a price to follow him. I'm a little afraid of actually depending on Jesus Christ for my daily needs. And I don't know if you're in the boat with me, but if you're you're in that same situation where, man, my eyes have been a little bit blind, my ears have been a little bit deaf, my heart has been a little bit hardened, then I really believe this passage from Isaiah is for us because God wants to awaken that in us today. And he says, listen, you have the words that the prophets have been waiting for. You're blessed. You're blessed because you have my words and many prophets and many holy people have been waiting to hear my words and they will never hear them. He actually says this, we are blessed because we have the words of Jesus that can alone soften hearts and open senses. We are blessed because we have the words of Jesus that can alone soften hearts and open senses. Amen. And our take-home point today goes right along with that, and it's this. When we understand God's word, it multiplies in our lives. When we understand God's word, it multiplies in our lives. When we hear God's word, just like that, that plant, or just like that compounding interest, like that seed, it goes down into our hearts, and when we allow it to penetrate who we are, God's word has the ability to multiply in our lives. It doesn't just do addition, it does multiplication, right? It bears a harvest 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. When we allow God's word to come into our lives, it transforms our lives. Because we actually take those steps in faith to begin following and not just talking about what it would be like if we did what Jesus said we should do, but when we actually start doing the things that Jesus said that we should do. Jesus continues in verse 18 as he sits down with his disciples and he now begins actually explaining what the parable means. And this is one of like only two parables that we get a recording of exactly like he sat down and explained a lot of parables to his disciples. This is one of the only two that we get where he actually, we have it written down for us, right? It says this starting in verse 18. It says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell along the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. Hear this, and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted or sown. Now, before we get too far into this explanation, I want to be really clear because sometimes we can get confused and we can begin thinking that this passage is about salvation. This passage is not about salvation. Jesus' teaching, his parable is not about that Jesus cast seed and, oh my goodness, what if I'm too rocky a soil? Like, I thought I was the good soil, but now maybe I'm the rocky soil. Maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe I'm not really going to heaven. This passage isn't about salvation. This passage is about the kingdom. 
let me I'll say it this way. Jesus isn't talking about believing in him and going to heaven someday. More than one type of seed in the story may be going to heaven. More than one type of seed in the story may be going to heaven. Jesus is talking about his kingdom. A lot of times we confuse kingdom with salvation. It's not about salvation. It's about his kingdom. And in his kingdom... There will be people who will come to church and they're well-meaning and they're really great people. And we, I, they, Many of them, you know, maybe your friends or family members and they'll come to church every week and they'll sit in churches and they'll hear really great sermons preached by really great preachers, but the, the word of God will never penetrate their hearts. They'll never really understand the kingdom. Whether it's because they're too calloused or their eyes aren't open, their ears aren't open, maybe they've just tuned it out, maybe they've already made some decisions about it, but that, 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 that seed will get snatched away. It never has a chance to grow and blossom in their lives. And let me just tell you, like, our heart here at New Life is we're constantly praying for God's word to awaken our hearts. And, and we're hoping it will open up a new heart every week, that there will be people who will come here, and you'll sit here, and, and through the, the sharing of God's word, that our hearts would be awakened. It's a beautiful thing when someone's heart is awakened for God. And many of you, you know, because you remember when it happened for you. You went from, like, merely knowing about God to understanding it, and it just, it just flourished in your life, and it began to grow, and it was, like, crazy. Like, you, the things that you had heard before, you heard them a thousand times, now had new meaning and new significance, and you know, you know what I'm talking about. And, and I would love to say that we could do that, but we can't for people. See, the, the truth is, is that the awakening of souls always depends on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's never on us. And I can preach with as much passion as I want to. And Pastor Chris and Pastor Brad, we can preach with as much passion as we want to. And we can have these really great sermons and great programs and rock and music and all this stuff we really worship. But the Holy Spirit's the one who does the work to awaken it in our lives. And so we just pray every week that the Holy Spirit would be in this place and would awaken hearts here. The second type of soil jumps in with both feet, man. They recognize Jesus for who he is. They understand the kingdom and they're all in. And, and we're inspired by their faith, and we tell stories about them, but then the troubles of this life rise up, and maybe the troubles from their past, or things that they haven't dealt with yet, whatever it may be, and it just sort of squashes that growth. They don't opt out of salvation. They oftentimes don't even opt out of church, but they opt out of kingdom work. They opt out of kingdom work, and maybe you've been there. Maybe you've come from another church where you were really burnt really bad, and you've come here, and you're looking for a place of healing, and you've sort of opted out of, of kingdom work. You're here to participate, you're here to, uh, to consume, but you're not really here to be involved in God's kingdom. Let me tell you today, if there was a time in your life when you had that passion and that fire burning in your heart and you were excited for Jesus, but that fire's gone out and you don't know where that passion is, whether it's because of the concerns of this world or something you did or something that's been done to you, or maybe it was the lure of wealth or whatever it was, let me just tell you today that God wants to awaken that in you. God wants to awaken the wonder and that passion in your heart. He wants to awaken that wonder and that passion in your heart today. The third type of soil has embraced Jesus as their Savior and money as their Lord. I think this is really important. The third type of soil has embraced Jesus as their Savior, but money as their Lord. Jesus is their Savior, but money is their Lord. In one form, this can take just living beyond our means. Man, we're just spending, spending, spending. We can't get away from that momentary high of having something new. We know what it feels like to have something new. We know what it feels like after something stressful. You could buy that new thing, and it's coming in two days on Amazon Prime because that's 
where everybody shops now, right? And so you, you get excited about it. Like, I get it, right? I have an Amazon wish list. I love buying things too. And I understand that momentary feeling of buying something new and sort of the excitement that goes along with that. But then we end up living paycheck to paycheck and we never have the opportunity to give a dime to God's work and what he's doing in the world around us. We live strained and stressed by our finances because we've become enslaved to buying things. And we're never able to benefit or experience the blessing that only comes through sacrifice. And on the flip side of that coin, some of us have turned our bank accounts into our salvation. Right? Some of us have turned our bank accounts into our salvation. We have no reason to depend on Jesus because we have enough money that we don't have to. And I'm like, this hits somebody's heart in here right, really hard, right? Like, I'm, I personally, like, I'm not one of those types of people. I'm the person who likes to spend money. But for some of us in here, our bank account has become our security. And God may be asking you today that you need to, he may be telling you, you need to give every single penny in that numerical slave driver away. You need to get rid of it. It doesn't have to go here, but you need to get rid of it because it's an idol for you. And you have turned that into your source of security. And your only source of security has to be found in me. And we can have these bank accounts, these savings accounts, retirement funds, and I'm not saying it's bad to save or be prepared for the future at all. My wife and I are very prepared for the future. We understand the importance of that. What I'm saying is that sometimes our savings account can become our idol, and we can look to that for our sense of security instead of turning to Jesus Christ, and our finances will always fail us when it comes to giving us a sense of security. And as I was writing this message, I kind of got this vibe, this feeling that God has been speaking to a, a couple people's hearts in this church. And I don't know who they are, and you may not be here in this service, but let me just tell you, if God has been speaking to your heart, he's been giving you a vision for the church. And you know that he can multiply and take what you call financial security, and he can turn it into souls saved. And he's been speaking to you about that. Now, I believe God doesn't just want this church to add. I believe he wants this church to multiply. And in the future, I believe God is going to open up opportunities for it to multiply. And I believe that you can take part in that. But he's saying you have to give up your idol. And you're not giving it up to New Life. You're not giving it to Pastor Mark. You're not giving it to Pastor Chris. You're giving up your idol. And he's just saying, I dare you to trust me. And to see the deliverance and the provision that I can provide for you when you give that up. Okay, I, that may not have been to you, and God may not be speaking to you in that way, but I really feel like somebody in this church this week needed encouraged by that. So as we get ready to close today, I'm really going to leave you with these two things. Well, I, I want to talk about the last soil first. That was the third soil. The fourth soil was one that doesn't, uh, isn't ignorant of the kingdom of God, but they understand it and, and they embrace it. Um, they aren't weathered or they, they weather the storms in this life and they aren't withered by them because they've placed their faith in somebody who's overcome the world. They uh, don't serve money, but instead they give generously and live with open hands. And, and they now look at what it once was a significant sacrifice as being being rather meager in light of souls saved for eternity. They know that they can put their resources to eternal work rather than temporary work here on earth. And these people understand the kingdom and they bring about a harvest 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown that the next generations will take with them to spread the seed of their resilient faith. And that's the type of soil that we want to be, which is the questions I'm going to leave you with today. What type of soil are you? And what kind do you want to be? What kind of soil are you? Truly, if you think about the kingdom of God, what kind of soil are you? And what kind do you want to be? And hopefully the answer for all of us is we want to be that good soil. We want to be that good soil. Which takes us to our next step. 
I will hear God's word this week and seek to understand it. For some of us, that's a big step. We don't read, let alone read God's word. We don't have, haven't prayed and we don't remember the last time that we really prayed, right? That we really had an honest conversation with God. But if we are going to allow the truth of Jesus Christ to transform our lives, we have to get it from his word. And so that next step this week is to not just read, but to seek to understand his word and let it go down into our lives and allow that to produce a harvest and to multiply in our lives. So one of the coolest things about all of this is that we get this ability to choose. That this week you get to choose what type of soil do you want to be. You get some power in this. You get to go out from this place, and this week and next week and the future weeks, you get to choose what type of soil do you want to be. Do you want to produce a harvest, or don't you? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day and this time, and I just pray, Father, that you're just preparing hearts, that you're sort of just getting ready. For some of us, God, you've been removing rocks from the field for a long time. And there's been all these hurdles and things in our way, and you've just been preparing our hearts to hear the message today, God, and you're just preparing us for a harvest. You're preparing us to grow. And I pray for those hearts today that God's been removing those rocks from them, that you would just be speaking to us today, Father, that you would just be nurturing us, Lord, that you would be awakening that passion and that wonder in us again, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would just propel us into your kingdom work in wherever we are and whatever we do. In your name we pray. Amen.